let me tell you about Mike. This is going to be a bit of a Herculean effort on my part because I don't know if I have the words, like truly have the words, to talk about my old friend and mentor. I'm not sure I do, and, and I have an ego the size of Cleveland, and I'm just not sure I have the words to talk about it. But I'm going to try. I guess the best thing to tell you about about Mike, the most dominant characteristic of him, is he was definitely, as the title goes, the man who laughed the loudest. Mike had this kind of booming, piercing laugh in a black room where you knew exactly where he was sitting. I mean, it was like sonar for bats. You could identify exactly his location. There was no question about it. Mike was this larger-than-life figure with that laugh. Like, the kind of laugh you might think was obnoxious if you didn't realize it was genuine. He carried that kind of joy. It's kind of crazy, really. I don't know that I've, I've maybe met a handful of people like that. That had a laugh or a smile that was just indicative of some greater happiness. Something deep-rooted. Something in his subconscious that I don't fully understand. And I was around Mike when some bad stuff happened to him. And yet, that still somehow hung out. I don't know. That booming laugh is, is probably the thing I remember most about my friend. That and, and how we really got to know each other. See, Mike was a graduate student. He was a doctoral candidate at University of Missouri when I went there for my undergrad. And we'd kind of cursory met in, in a playwright's workshop where we read scripts on, on Wednesday nights. And we talked a little bit, but never, never to any great degree, right? It was never long conversations. I knew who he was, and he knew who I was, and we chatted a little bit. But I was very much the, the, the auteur, as it were, right? I was out smoking cigarettes in all black trying to be a cool writer kid. Yeah, don't judge me. Luckily, I was a babyface little bastard, and I was, man. I'm not even going to kid you. Like, back when I was, like, 19, 20, and I had a full head of hair, I was a sexy wee little fucker. Um, but I went and auditioned, because there were very few scholarships for playwrights, and there was just no way I was going to get them, because uh, I was kind of fumbling around like a kid in seven minutes in heaven doing a bra clasp with this idea of what writing was. Um, I knew I loved it, but shit, I was really banging my head against the wall because I just, I didn't have that thing. I'm always envious of writers that were like, oh, I want to be just like Neil Simon. So they write everything just like Neil Simon and it's good. Um, I didn't know who the fuck I wanted to be. So anyway, I go out to audition for the one act plays and Mike O'Donohoe's directing one about retro video games and, and a girl who has to beat Mike Tyson's punch out and invites a boy over to help her do this. And the secret in this play, I'm not going to shade any of this for y'all, by the way, so if you're triggered, I'm not sorry, just get over it. Uh, the secret to her victory at video games is that her, her past boyfriend, her ex, gives her head... And during that orgasmic moment, she's able to defeat the hardest video games ever. Uh, that guy's name was Mark. 
in the play. And my entry line was, let me tell you about Mark. So you now kind of get the inside joke for why this is titled, let me tell you about Mike. But Mike was the director and he cast me as Mark. Uh, like I said, I was a sexy little bastard. Uh, specifically, I was Mark's ghost, trapped in the apartment, uh, doomed to be this un unattainable fantasy for her, because Mark had apparently long since moved on, who becomes the orgasm-giving guide, the Yoda of Cunnilingus, as it were, to this new character, this young man who's come in who has a huge crush on this girl. Um, so that he can help him get through Mike Tyson's punch-out with her, and at the same time have his fucking spirit exercised from this apartment. I know, this is really weird, but it, it was. Uh, and Mike had choreographed an entry for me uh, with a smoke machine and a black leather jacket. I wear very thick glasses. I was not wearing contacts. I was wearing sunglasses when I went on stage. So I, was, I was like two steps above fucking blind walking out in the smoke machine with Madonna's Like a Prayer playing. I'm not kidding. This is exactly what happened. And this is where Mike and I first really became friends. Working on this show. Like, everyday rehearsals, reading lines, learning, working on this, uh, learning to be comfortable inserting my head into a skirt of a young woman, uh, and to move my head around, as Mike one time said, like, quote, an otter with a Nerf football. I'm not kidding, and I'm not telling you this stuff to make you offended. What I'm telling you this stuff to do is to realize we form our best relationships in the most fucked up circumstances, don't we? Uh, Mike became my mentor. I was young and angry. I really was. I wanted to burn every writing rule down and piss on the ashes. I had a chip on my shoulder that was due to a lot of other stuff, but Mike kind of came in. And and look, in, in writing and in art schools, when you're that guy, you piss some people off. And I pissed some people off, and I had some people in the theater department that were distant from me because I was just not a theater kid. I'm a nonconformist in general. I didn't fucking fit in. I felt alone. And Mike kind of came over and took me under his wing. But here's the thing. Those years that I spent hanging out with Mike on Saturdays and, and learning and talking about writing and trying to figure my shit out, those were good. But I didn't fully realize everything. See, I'd, I'd vanish from the face of the planet when I ran out of money for school. I'd run off and join the military, um, which seems kind of like a cliche, but they're cliches for a reason. Uh, I ran off and joined the military in a way to find money, and I just never came back. And it was a long time before I talked to people again, but due to the magic of social media, uh, Mike O'Donoghue found me. And we started chit-chatting. A little bit here, a little bit there. But we really started talking again around the time of my first divorce. And, and Mike and I went through several dozen phone calls talking back and forth. I'd given up on writing. I'd, I was going to go be a captain of industry or retire from the military or some other shit. I'd, I'd abandoned the dream. And Mike swore that I hadn't. But I didn't listen. Uh, I, I did. We talked about it. And, and I even sketched a play idea out with him uh, that honestly to this day is a play I've never written. And if I were to die tomorrow, that play would be my biggest regret. True facts. I, uh, 
I talked to Mike a lot about fears and how scared I was and everything else. And he was cool. Kept referring to me as hot, mad, or, or talking stories about how I must be a terror to my kids in the military. I must be the greatest drill instructor of all time. All kinds of shit. And I mean, I, it, it, look, it's not that Mike was a dumb guy. It's that Mike was... Mike was a great mentor. Yeah. Mike understood the nature that, that a mentoring is not just a formal fucking business designation in an MBA program. Like, a mentoring is a relationship. Mike had been my mentor for years. A little while after we started talking again, Mike ended up with health problems related to his liver. We had one more conversation. We talked about me writing again and everything else. And then, uh, then we lost Mike O'Donoghue. I don't joke when I say we lost him way too fucking early. I feel like the world has a distinct loss in it for that laugh. And up in Buffalo where he was living, I mean, just, just amazing, amazing stuff coming out of theater groups and his wife and everything else. Just really amazing stuff. And to know that he still had that impact on people. And I did what guys in the military do a lot with death. I bottled it up and I put it away. I lost one of my best friends and mentors. I could have spent time, and, and I did on several occasions when I was drunk, spend time railing against myself for not being a better friend to him. It ate away at me for years. I haven't really talked about him until now. Not not in this format. I've mentioned some things about him, but I've never really opened up as much as this. What do you say about the person that had that much impact on you, but you didn't realize it until you were an adult? Until over a decade had passed. Until you're you're sitting in your house and you want to die and you're fairly confident that he's looking at you and looking at a fucking notebook. See, Mike never doubted I'd come back to writing. He always knew it. I'm not going to lie to you. That's the creepiest part. <laughs> it's the creepiest and the coolest part is that Mike O'Donohoe never once doubted that I was going to come back, that I was going to write again. He never did. You know that tomorrow morning the sun will come up. Mike knew that eventually I'd return to writing. Have you ever had that confidence in somebody? Better yet, has anyone ever had that confidence in you? Mike knew I could be and would be great.
before I even wanted to believe it myself. Never scolded, never berated me for it. He just knew. He smiled and he laughed and chuckled about it. He talked with me through play ideas and story ideas. At the heart of 100 Connections, the story that saved my life is very much the spirit of Mike O'Donoghue. I talked previously about how I did it just to prove something about my fucking writing so that I could go ahead and call it done and be done with all my affairs on earth and just finally fucking end it. But Mike always knew I was good. Shit, Mike knew it better than I did. And now here I am, 39 years old. And I think about the lessons my friend taught me that I didn't realize till I got older. Somewhere right now, you're in your car or on a treadmill or lifting weights or doing your laundry or whatever you're doing while you absorb this. And beforehand and during and after you're thinking of things. You're thinking of like freedom or you're thinking of compassion. Maybe you're thinking of the debates that are coming up this week and politics and maybe you're very politically active and you start thinking of socialism or maybe you heard about Mike's death and you're thinking about health care. You're thinking about these things. You have these quaint little fictions because that's what Mike taught me. Maybe the greatest lesson that Mike's laugh held, the great mystery of it, that it revealed to me is that it's all a little fiction. We're all living our own little stories, our own little fictions, who we are and the titles we give and the clothes we wear and the things we do and the stuff we say. And a 19-year-old kid in a black leather coat with a cigarette, trying not to cough his lungs up and just look cool. Choking down black coffee till he liked the taste, sipping back beer and bourbon, drinking himself almost to oblivion for the sake of proving that somehow he was the heir to some great writer. And this guy's smile and laugh was the revelation that it was a fiction it was only ever a story. Mind-blowing, isn't it? Think about it. Like, democracy, right? It's a fiction. It's a story we tell ourselves. We agree that it's true, and thus it's true, but there's no objective truth to what it is. We go through the self-help aisle, and we go, ah, oh, we are in the search for objective truth, and every time I think about those books, I can hear Mike laughing. Because it's like somehow he knew that this objective idea of truth didn't really exist. Somehow he was this great storyteller, so great that he realized that the entire makeup of humanity is nothing more than stories. Like we're all kids playing a game of make-believe, agreeing on the rules. And thus it becomes real. Think about that. 
see this amazing wisdom came from a person that to you might not have seemed that extraordinary. The most extraordinary things often hide in the most ordinary coverings. It's their way of reserving themselves only for the people that can really see them, that'll take the time to really see them. It's Mother Nature's little game. I think about my friend Mike, about that booming laugh. About going out on my 21st birthday with my friend and mentor to buy a six-pack of beer that he put the cash in my hand to buy. And when I went to the counter to buy it, the guy didn't even card me. And Mike lost his damn mind and <laughs> proceeded to tell him I needed to be ID'd. Because <laughs> he couldn't deal with the idea that I wasn't going to get carded on my 21st birthday. And think about the guy who had faith in me that I could get anything done. The guy who believed I was talented. And I could do this. The guy who gave me something, honestly, I longed for my entire life. Which was just unconditional love and acceptance. Let me tell you about Mike. The man who laughed the loudest. A heart that loved more than most and the single best mentor I've ever known. And I've known a few. A guy who never gave up on me and never stopped believing that I could do what even I didn't believe I could do. We all have those people somewhere. And sometimes we take them for granted. And we forget. We get busy. We start thinking about our mentors. About who really is a mentor. We start defining it. I know when I was in business school, we were very big on defining mentor relationships. And one, two, one, two, lockstep bullshit. Mike was the most organic mentor I ever had. It just happened. There's not a year that goes by that I don't miss the hell out of him. Not a day that something happens that I don't hear his laugh in my head. That I don't feel that laugh that told me that he was in a theater watching me walk through a smoke curtain to like a prayer and could pinpoint exactly where he was. Not a day that I don't feel that to the core of my being. Mike was a good friend. And that regret that I have is that play that we talked about so much. We built this idea, well, more than anything, I guess he pulled it out of me. My greatest regret is that I never wrote that while he was alive. 
I never wrote that script when my friend could read it. I don't know, maybe it's time to write it now. Maybe that's a fragment from a forgotten era of who I am. Maybe the script came from a different place. Maybe it's time for it to mature. I don't know. But I know enough to tell you this. Don't ever live with a mentor with a regret. And I firmly believe that Mike wouldn't want me to have that regret. But as impressive and magical as that man could be, he doesn't control everything tragically. It's funny, we spend all our time looking for mentors and trying to find the next big best thing without realizing sometimes the people that will shape us the most, that will craft our hearts, that will have the greatest impact on us are those that are right next to us. Not those in a mentoring program, not those that read all the books, not those that are our coaches or anything else. but the people right there by. Don't get it twisted, Mike wasn't perfect. Neither am I. Neither are any of you. Maybe we all cling to our fictions just a little too much. To the idea of who we are and how we're somehow better than the other person. Maybe we spend too much time on that. Too much time on the seriousness, too much time in the hustle and the run and the grind and not enough time being the person in the room laughing the loudest. Because when we feel that laugh come up through our throat, we hold it back because we're afraid of what the world will say. Though Mike never did. You just let it boom for the whole world to enjoy. I'm having a hard time coming up with the words for my mentor. There's so much to a man. How do you encapsulate a life in a few minutes? I don't know. Hopefully I've done a good enough job. I've done the best with the time I had, so let's try this. Let me tell you about Mike, my friend, my brother, my mentor. The person that showed me the way back to writing even when I didn't think there was one. Man who saved my life. Who was always there no matter how big the gap in time got. The guy who taught me about the fictions we all believe in and that we shouldn't take anything too seriously because in the end we're going to find out we were lying to ourselves. The man who laughed the loudest. 
because he thought what you were doing was great. And he wanted you to know he was there. The laugh that left the room way before it was time and whose absence has made this world a little bit less. Those are the best words I have for my mentor, Mike. I miss you, buddy. And from the bottom of my heart, thank you for everything you've done. And as you wind up listening to me here, go find that mentor that doesn't know the impact they had on you. That person, I don't care if you call them a mentor or not, fuck it, get rid of the title. Get rid of the amusing little fiction of roles and just tell the people that impacted you the most that you love them. And that you're thankful for them. And cut the bullshit. Because it doesn't matter what you wear or who you look like. What your title is or what your role is or what little achievements or accolades you can put on a fucking mantelpiece. Because at the end of the day, we're all worm chow. But we can have such an impact. And while Mike's laugh may not be here anymore, I still hear it every day of my life. And I still hear it when I'm writing because he laughs knowing that he got a joke on the world because I didn't give up. Never fully. Go tell your mentor you love him. Tell him you care. Tell him they changed you. Do it while you still can. Hold nothing back and have no regrets. Let me tell you about Mike.